You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, today has been just absolutely nonstop. I mean, literally, I have to uh, work late, so it's uh, 6 to 4.30 today. Drive home, that's a 45-minute drive. I got to eat very quickly, had to turn around and go out to puppy class. Just got done with puppy class. Now I'm an hour and 15 minutes late getting the podcast started, which means I'll probably be an hour and 15 late minutes late getting to bed. So, such is life. Anyways, uh, very little time to pay attention to the news, but I caught just enough bad news and learned that uh, apparently we are going to be absent Mr. Alan Lazard as well. That is not good, but I want to keep uh, any and all news not unbelievably pertinent, such as Alan Lazard is out, um, kind of just at a minimum. So I'm not going to be going through the press conferences and things because I've been saying we need to talk about the Cardinals for like three days in a row. And so today we're going to cram for the exam and uh, kind of go through some of this stuff. I also did ask for questions and comments. I got a ton of those. I don't know if we're going to get to that or not. That may be a tomorrow thing. Um, I really just put it there because, and I don't even think he posted on here. I'm not positive, but I had somebody ask, uh, wanted to ask a question, but said, well, you didn't, you know, do a Patreon thing. So I'm just going to post it here. And so I said, well, remind me and I'll do a Patreon Q and a, and, uh, you can put it there. So we'll see how it goes. I hope I can get to those again. I'm going to try to rapid fire through this. And this is just a cursory overview. Uh, I shouldn't say cursory, pretty much nothing I do is cursory, but um, as cursory as I can get, just to, in terms of understanding who their team is and then just a general view of, of who that person is and how they're doing. Um, that's, that's the goal for today. Depending on the pace, it may be offense, break defense. It might be full team, break questions. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Now, one thing I want to do, and I don't want this to be misconstrued entirely, um, but a lot of times, especially when we go up against really good teams, I, I guess I do it both ways. With teams like Washington, I kind of went the opposite direction where I said, listen, this is, you know, here's why they're not as bad as maybe people think. And I talked about their defensive line and their offensive line. And the fact that trenches is kind of where we might, you know, if we go up against a team that just has trenches, that's the, that's the team that makes me nervous. More so than like, they're not real good offensive line, defensive line, but they got corners and wide receivers. I'm just less scared of that team. But anyways, with really, really good teams, especially good teams with really good records, I think uh, a lot of fans tend to deify the other teams. And this is why a lot of the time I'll talk about perspective, right? Because we think of like the Chiefs as, as I don't know why we think of ourselves as being lower, but it, actually I do. It's because we watch our team so intently. And so you look at the Cardinals and they're 7-0 and and you think, well, they're, they're glimmering, they're shining, they're perfect. And we look at our record at 6-1, and one, and we go, yeah, but. 
Yeah, but we've played some not-so-great teams. Yeah, but we've got some injuries. Yeah, but, you know, the offensive line is is not only injured, but they're not playing up to par, and the run game has sputtered, and we don't exactly have our wide receiver tight end group up to where they need to be, and our safeties aren't exactly where we want them to be, and Stokes is decent, but he's not where we need him to be. And, you know, we, we look at all the little specks and say, yeah, we're 6-1, and one, but... I mean, we're not like 7-0 and like them or like 6-1 and like some other 6-1 and teams are. But the only reason we do that is because we don't look at the weaknesses of these other teams. And so we look at the Cardinals, for example. You see 7-0, and that's horrifying. You look at number four on defense, number one, or excuse me, number fourth-ranked offense, number one defense, and you think that that's, I mean, this is the perfect team. Now, I'm not going to downgrade it to the point of saying they're not actually that good. They're pretty trash, and we're going to steamroll them. That's not my goal. It's just to kind of pull back the veneer and be like, listen, these are human beings. Their play has been up and down. They have good spots and bad spots, highlights and lowlights. And I just want to sort all that out and try to give a clear picture of a team full of people that have highs and lows, goods and bads. These are not gods. These are not titans. I mean, in a, in a you know, we'll stick with gods. These are not deities. They're people, and they're largely people that have been on teams that suck for most of their lives. Literally all of them. I mean, I shouldn't say literally, but I mean, um, most of this team has been really bad for a long time, and uh, two of the better players, J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins, came from the Texans, so they have been on bad teams and whatnot. And they've also been up and down. Maybe not Hopkins as much, but J.J. Watt is hes a broke-down old man. But anyways, they are 7-0. and Some of these are more impressive than others. Um, here's my general overview of their wins so far. First of all, 38-13 against the Tennessee Titans. Now, when we look at that, we say, yeah, Tennessee's pretty good. 38-13 against them, that's crazy. The Tennessee Titans, though, had an exact same Week 1 experience as we did. They played horrifically. I mean, in every facet of the... of of football, they played terribly. So I'm not saying if they go back and play today, they're going to whoop on the Cardinals. All I'm saying is it's hard to gauge because Tennessee came out week one just like we did. Cardinals probably still win either way, but just understand that. Next was the Minnesota Vikings, and Arizona won by one point. After that is the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's a bad team, but they beat them 31-19. It's a pretty convincing win. Those are the kinds of things we wish we did more often. But again, still, it's Jacksonville. One of the more impressive wins was when they beat the LA Rams for a lot of reasons. Now, you can say this is a common opponent, so it's a little weird and it's hard to judge, but still, LA we know is good. It was on the road, and they won by 17 points, which is a pretty convincing win. I mean, keeping them to 20 is impressive. Scoring 37 is impressive. After that is the 49ers. Now, that one was far less impressive, um, at least offensively. Defensively, they held them to 10 points. Offensively, they only scored 17 after that was the Browns. Um, that was in Cleveland. Another very convincing win, 37-14. to 14. They've, uh, the Cleveland's got a bunch of injuries and a whole bunch of weird issues, but still, 37-14 regardless is pretty impressive. Then you have the Houston Texans game. Now, again, it's Houston, but, it, but it's also 31-5. to 5. Now, it took them a long time to get going, and it kind of seemed like once the dam broke open, which is what I was saying on my live stream was going to happen, eventually the dam's going to break open and they're just going to run wild. And that's what happened. It was like 5-7 to seven for a very long time. You held out hope that maybe the Texans would come back, and they didn't. But still, 31-5. to five. So um, there's been more impressive wins than others. And again, the, the Texans are not good. The 49ers are not very good. The Jaguars are not very good. Minnesota's mediocre. 
Cleveland, especially in the state of that week, mediocre. Tennessee was terrible week one. Um, the only real impressive win here, I would say. I mean, again, the scores, very impressive. But in terms of opponent and score and everything else, it was the L.A. Rams. But overall, the season has been impressive. Um, aside from the Minnesota Vikings game of 33 points, the most points they've allowed this season is 20. That's very impressive. Um, and as far as scores, almost identically, the only uh, blot would be against the 49ers when they scored 17. Every other game has been 30 points plus. 31 was the next lowest. So um, from that standpoint alone, it's been obviously very hard to wrangle this team. Hard to score on them, and, and once they get going, it just seems like they just keep going, and it's really hard to, to reel them in. In terms of interesting statistics, as you break down by category, um, they're pretty good in most categories. They are... Um, Fourth in passing net yards per attempt. Second on defense in net yards per attempt. Rushing, though, is where it gets a little bit iffy. They're the 16th ranked rushing team, and they're 31st on defense in terms of rushing. Obviously, that's not impacting them much as a defense. And I suppose when you're running up the score as much as you are, teams kind of tend to get away from the run and all that kind of stuff. But that's still a problem. Again, they're not a perfect team. I mean, this is one of the worst run defenses in the entire NFL. Now, looking at a position-by-position basis, Kyler Murray is the highest-graded player on their entire offense. A couple interesting little notes about Kyler. First of all, he is um, graded a little bit higher than he was last year, but the biggest difference really is what he's doing well. And this is kind of the big transformation that Lamar is kind of making that's making him a more well-rounded and talented quarterback, but he's still kind of in no-man's land, whereas Kyler has really kind of blossomed His passing grade last year was a 77. His rushing grade was an 86. In other words, he was a good passer and a great runner. This year, his passing grade is a 90.6. As a runner, his grade is a 46.5. It's actually terrible. Now, I've been talking about this a little bit on Twitter, and some people are arguing with me as though I don't know he's fast. I know he can run fast. That's not really the point. A lot of people can run fast. It has nothing to do with being a mobile quarterback. The point is, not only... I don't even know which way to go first. Not only are they not featuring him much as a runner, but he's been extremely ineffective as a runner. And so they've obviously made it a a point of emphasis to try to keep him, maybe not keep him in the pocket, but make him a passer, pass first. That's been a major emphasis. And it's, it's also, again, it's been important because the production also hasn't been there. And that's the number one question I've received about the Cardinals. And that was the reason I made that tweet is because I, after about the seventh time, I said, all right, I just need to put this together. And I think most people are stunned because I was stunned. We, we just assumed this is another Lamar Jackson, and he's probably got 400 yards rushing, which is, I think, around what Lamar has right now. I don't feel like looking it up. Um, Kyler Murray has 31 attempts for 126 yards. That's an average of 2.9 yards per attempt. If you didn't know, that's really low. Quarterbacks are kind of like linebackers with pressures. They're generally higher because when a quarterback scrambles, it's because he's got 10 yards in front of him. Now, Aaron Rodgers is only at 2.8, but that's kind of my point. He's, he's at about what Aaron Rodgers is at. On top of that, he has three touchdowns, which I think Aaron has two. I don't remember. I don't have my tweet in front of me. But more importantly, he has six fumbles on the season. Now, that came in just four games, but that's, that's the other thing to consider. When he's running, which is almost never, he's not doing a very good job. And on top of that, he has some very serious fumble issues at this point. And so it becomes a liability. We don't want him running around with the ball because it just keeps popping out. 
the most yardage he's run for this entire season. Again, this is this is a guy that everyone, their number one concern is this guy's going to run all over us. 39 yards against LA, that's it. On designed runs, in other words, he gets the ball and the plan is he's going to try to run. He has 36 yards for the entire season, that's it. Everything else was just a scramble. He has 90 yards of scrambling. When the play breaks down and he's got a little green grass, he takes it. And understand, that's that's very similar to Justin Fields. Justin Fields has got wheels, like big time. But Justin Fields is not a scrambler. He's not a guy that gets the ball and is like, I'm going to take off. It's just, if there's a if there's a, a lane, I'm going to take it. I mean, assuming there's nowhere to throw. And that's Kyler. And he can kill you. And that's the other thing I'm trying to emphasize. I'm not saying I'm not scared about it and he can't do it and he's trash at running. It's not my point. The point is, this is not what the Cardinals are doing. This is not how the Cardinals are beating people. In fact, this is not how the Cardinals have beat even one team. They are clearly making a concerted effort to say, do not run the ball. And he's not. Now, it's entirely possible they change that strategy, or the Packers' defense is just so trash at contain, and he's got all this green grass, he takes it, and he breaks all kinds of records. That shouldn't surprise any of us. We've seen that a million times. Here's my question, though. If you're the defensive coordinator, and you're looking at what this team is doing, and there's all these different things. They've got three talented wide receivers. They've got a tight end. They've got all these different things that they do. How much emphasis are you going to put on this quarterback considering they have shown you for seven weeks in a row he will not run the ball? And when he does, it's somewhat of a liability. How many hours on a short week are you going to dedicate to how do we contain Kyler Murray? How many players are you going to waste spying Kyler Murray who's going to be in the pocket 95% of this game? Are you going to play with 10 men on the field because you're going to dedicate one guy to wasting his time? That's my point, though. That's my only point. This has not been, and everybody just assumes it is because they know he's fast, this has not been a major point of emphasis for the Cardinals. And so maybe to our detriment, it's entirely possible it's to our detriment, I don't think this is going to be a major part for our defense. I thought it would have been at first, and I'm sure there's still going to be some consideration because if, again, if you allow there to be a lot of space, he will take it, just like what happened last week with Washington. Nobody thought that Heineke was going to run the ball because they weren't paying attention because he's, well, that's just some slow white guy. No, he actually runs a lot. Everybody's worried about Kyler Murray, who has 126 yards, 2.9-yard average. Nobody seemed to be interested in the guy who has 222 rushing yards, 6.3 average. Tyler Heineke is running more than Kyler Murray is. He's not as fast, but that's not the point. The point is, if you're the defensive coordinator and you're just looking at it saying, well, Kyler's fast and Tyler's white, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plan for Tyler or Taylor to just throw it and Kyler's going to be running. And just ignore the reality that's sitting right in front of you of what they're actually doing in these games. Granted, as usual, the, uh, Taylor ran against the Packers for more than anybody else did because that's just standard. But that's, that's, that's the only point I'm trying to make. Kyler Murray is killing people with his arm, not his legs. That's it. That's, that's not my opinion. That's the reality of the situation. Do with that information what you will. And as a passer, he's been very consistent. Um, His lowest grade of the season is a 70.0. So he's not missing. I mean, he's on point. Um, His best was this past week, 89.5. Now, it was against Houston, so that makes sense. But his his best three games have come in the last four weeks. So, I mean, there's nothing here to look at to say he's slowing down, he's not that good. No, he's solid, man. Um, big time throws. He has 22 on the season. Turnover worthy plays four. 9.4% of his throws are big time throws, which is absurd. 
Number one is Russell Wilson at 9.6. Number two is Kyler Murray at 9.4. The next highest is 8.5. After that, it's 7.1. That's how rapidly it falls off. And that's Josh Allen, who we know throws a lot of big throws. Aaron Rodgers has 14. He's at 6%. So, um, again, I, I just want us to understand these things rightly. It's not like Kyler's the short little guy that can throw it a little bit, but he's just going to run all over everybody. No, dude, he's, he's, he's absolutely lethal with his arm this year. On top of that, turnover-worthy plays, as I mentioned, are real low. Only 1.5% of his throws, so he's been relatively cautious. Uh, 17 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. He's tied for fourth in touchdown passes this year. Tom Brady, Matt Stafford, Pat Mahomes, and then uh, Kyler and Joe Burrow are next. However, third lowest rushing grade. (laughs) So, you know. And listen, make no mistake, I, I have no illusion that his ability with his legs is making him a better thrower the fact that he can scramble out of the pocket and get away from pressure and create down the field that's going to be a part of his game altogether and that's going to also come into how you play and how you try to contain and do all these things I'm just talking about grabbing the ball and running up the field all right trying to get this guy on the ground is going to be tough I mean we've seen that before in the past guys like Russell Wilson guys that can move around they're just slippery and it's hard to get those sacks I mean you can get the pressure but the problem is you pressure him he escapes the pocket Now he creates for himself a new, I'm not going to call it a pocket because he's out there by himself, but he's kind of by himself and he's extended this play. So it does, his his legs create very serious issues, um, but I think it has more to do with his ability to uh, extend plays more so than his ability to, you know, run around for 100 yards in a game or whatever. And yes, it's going to happen. And he's going to take off and run for 20 yards. And if anybody sends me a tweet or a message, oh, I thought he wasn't going to run, I'm just going to virtually punch you in the throat because that's not what I said. And if you can't pay attention, maybe you shouldn't listen. Stop playing Tetris on your TI-83 calculator, all right? Like the cool kids did. <laughs> Nobody knows what I'm talking about. So that's Kyler. Looking at the offensive line, it's it's a little confusing. Um they grayed out. It's it's very similar to what you would expect from like the Green Bay Packers. They statistically are doing fantastic. They don't usually grade out all that well, um, although the pass blocking grades can be somewhat decent. But for example, left tackle DJ Humphreys. DJ is a good football player. He always kind of had. I mean, he, I would say he reminds me a lot of Brian Balaga in terms of how he grades out. Very up and down from year to year, but it's always kind of ranging from, you know, good to real good. His worst grade was a 64.5 in 2019, which again is pretty average-ish, but um, it was really just because his run blocking, for whatever reason, was real low, 76.3 pass blocking grade. But um, this year, he's right at 70. He's been uh, up and down, mostly up, and when he's down, it's usually run blocking. He's had two really bad games pass blocking. In fact, his last three weeks have been his worst, but he has allowed 13 pressures on the season. For reference, since we only have one consistent tackle that's been out there, Billy Turner has allowed 16 pressures on the season, and uh, we know that he usually gives up kind of a lot for our team, so 13 is kind of right in that range. At left guard, we got Justin Pugh getting up in age, 31 years old. He's been around a long time. Um, He had a real good first four years, and then he kind of fell off in 2017, and the Giants are like, all right, we're kind of done with this guy. He only played about a half a year because of injury, and he didn't play that well, so he shipped him off to Arizona. Um, only played about half of that year, didn't play very well. He's basically, bottom line is he's been average ever since, but it's all run blocking. Last three years, he's been a very good pass blocker. This year, exact same thing. He's been pretty average, 60 overall as a run blocker, 
pass blocking grades 70 80 60 60 80 77 so he's been solid only allowed nine pressures on the season um, as far as I can tell he's been healthy for most of the season looks like maybe week three he came out for a while but uh, he's in there he's battling not the best run blocker but he's solid as a pass blocker uh, their center was Rodney Hudson I believe he got placed on IR that's putting Max Garcia next up however Max Garcia is injured with an Achilles injury. He didn't practice Monday or Tuesday. I do not know his status. As of right now, Max Garcia, very similar to the rest of these guys. He's got a 55 run blocking grade and 82 pass blocking grade. That's just kind of the standard for what you're getting here. Now, the only weird thing with Max Garcia, and he has been consistent pretty much all year with his pass blocking grade, he's never been a good pass blocker. He's 30 years old. He's been in the league since 2015. Aside from 2016, he's been pretty bad as a pass blocker, uh, averaging like 50 overall. This year so far, 82.7. So I don't know if it's just a scheme thing. Maybe it has to do with how they're playing. Again, similar to what the Packers are doing. Maybe it has to do with Kyler getting the ball out quickly. I don't really know. But uh, the pass blocking across the board has been very good. Max Garcia, um, one of those guys. Now, if Max can't go, it looks like it's going to be Sean Harlow. Um, that's going to be taken over. And again, Sean Harlow, 60 overall run blocker, 86 pass blocking. So very weird, freakish situation with this team and pass blocking. At right guard, you got Josh Jones, and this is where things completely fall apart. This is a third round pick back in 2020. Some of you might remember his name from that draft. Um, not good. Uh, 57 run blocking, 43 pass blocking. He's given up 16 pressures. And again, that's from the interior, which is usually where you have less pressures. He's up there with Billy Turner, who is a tackle as a guard. Um, that's not great. Uh, in fact, in his last three games, we could even do four games, 50, 26, 48, and 15 were his pass blocking grades. So he's been getting beat up on real bad. And also, again, keep in mind, they may be on their third string center. And although in his very limited snaps, we've had Max Garcia or Sean Harlow perform well, um, more than likely, this is kind of small sample size, fluky type stuff. And you get him in there for a full game across from Kenny Clark, it's probably not going to go quite as well. So from center to right guard, there may be some issues. And then at right tackle, you got Kelvin Beecham and Kelvin Beecham is, uh, his, his overall grade right now is a 68 run blocking, 58 pass blocking, just extremely inconsistent. His pass blocking grades 81, 45, 72, 26, 72. So every other year, uh, week, it goes from real solid to real trash. So I don't really know the situation. He's 32. He probably just gets tired. I don't really know. Um, one of the things I was curious about that I didn't really have time to look at, but I wonder, because Devondre Campbell tweeted something about this, how much more the older players are affected by stuff like this? Because this is somewhat of an older team. And you wonder about 32-year-old players, especially trench guys that are just getting beat up on real bad. And even, you know, running backs and linebackers that smash into people a ton. How much those extra days of rest are going are gonna to help compared to a Thursday where you just don't get that turnaround time. But that's the offensive line. It's, it's, it's weird because it's a group of people that generally are not that good that have come together and made a really good unit. Um, you might have a couple guys that have been great for, for quite a few years, but it's usually been like you got a left tackle and everyone else is trash, right? Arizona's had some serious struggles, but um, they seemingly have figured it out. I'm still a little iffy on it. And also, if you look on a week-to-week basis, things change, right? I think right now, um, if you look at Arizona, how they rank, they're one of the top. 
But then you'll see things like they were the number one team in week one. Well, again, Tennessee imploded. Secondly, they've had very serious pass rushing issues for a while. It's probably their biggest hindrance to their team right now, although they've remedied that to some extent. But either way, week one, not very good. And on a week-to-week basis, they've never been bottom of the barrel, but you'll have, um, for example, I think if you eliminate week one, they're like 16th, so right at about average. But even so, you'll have games where they were like the 20th ranked offensive line, and then you'll have another one where they were seventh. I'm not going to go through it all again because, again, it's getting kind of late. But again, that's just that's football, right? Some days with the you look at our run game, and it's like, dude, this is a dominant run game. And then you look at last week, and it's like, eh, they kind of sucked. It's the same with everything, and it's the same with their offensive line, and you don't really know what version you're going to get. There's a lot of age. There's a lot of inconsistency. There's run blocking compared to pass blocking. There's a lot of factors at play here in terms of quality of the opponent, right? I mean, how many of the the Jaguars don't have good pass rushers? The Texans don't have good pass rushers. The Titans didn't have good pass rushers, right? And and granted, you look at some of the other ones where they do have good pass rushers. Yeah, but that's when they didn't rank number one anymore or, or top 10 even. So everything's kind of relative. And don't forget that the Green Bay Packers uh, did a better job rushing the passer against Washington than any other team Washington faced. They just dominated Washington's offensive line, which was until they faced the Packers, one of the best offensive lines in football. Hopefully we can do that with Arizona again. Although again, I'm still skeptical because I just, I don't get it. These are I've I've been looking at PFF for a long time. I know a lot of these guys' names because I just go over this stuff. And I just, it's burned into my head, Arizona, bad offensive line. I just know that. Not that we play them very often. I just, and I look and I see a lot of the same names that I've been seeing for a while. I see the bad grades, (laughs) you know, especially with overall. You got a 70 overall left tackle, 69 left guard, uh, 55 center, a 57 right guard and a 62 right tackle. That's not overly impressive, but they're getting the job done. Again, very similar to the Packers. And I do think Kyler has a lot to do with that and and scheming things. A couple of the things I forgot to mention about Kyler Murray. um, And again, this is, this is why, I mean, it it actually is very reminiscent of, of the chiefs in my mind, as far as just a quarterback that's playing out of his mind and a team that is really electric. And not only do they score points, they rack up the score. And it's because of the way that they play. If you look at Kyler Murray's grades based on the depth of his throws, uh, throws behind the line of scrimmage, 70 overall grade. Short passes, 63, which is really random. Medium, which is 10 to 19 yards. He has a 95 overall grade. 20 plus yard passes, 97.4 overall grade. And he does that 13.5% of the time. Um, passes 10 yards or more, it's, uh, what would that be, 35% of the time. And he's he's basically perfect in those areas in terms of grade anyways. Maybe even more horrifying, when he has a clean pocket, he has a 90 overall grade. When he's under pressure, his grade is an 87.1. He's under pressure, and this is the other thing, you wonder, while the offensive line is doing a great job, he's under pressure almost 30% of his dropbacks, which is really high. Here's the thing, though. If you register a pressure, he escapes the pressure, and what does he do? He does this a lot. He's completing 61.7% of his passes under pressure, 437 yards, 9.3 yards per attempt, four touchdowns and a pick. 9.3 yards per attempt is impressive. So getting pressure on Kyler is not doing anything. Now, you still are going to want to do it because if you allow him to sit there, he's obviously like any quarterback can pick you apart even more so. You got to be able to disrupt the routes and everything else and hopefully do something, but um, he's really, again, as crazy as it sounds, he reminds me a lot of Pat Mahomes right now. 
He can run. There is that lethality to it. But um, he's just really destroying people with his arm and moving them off the pocket and making them uncomfortable is not really... It's not making him bad at football, which is really scary. Uh, as far as rushing grades, and again, they, they're not the greatest running team uh, in the world. Uh, James Conner has been their number one running back so far. You know James Conner. He's been around since forever. was with Pittsburgh for quite a while. He's a you know 70 overall guy, and really the only reason it's that high is the last two weeks he's been in the 70s. Prior to that, pretty much all 60s, but um, 335 yards, only 3.8 yards per attempt, uh, six touchdowns, one fumble. This guy's 6'1", 233, so he's the hammer. He's the one that's going to get the majority of the carries because his body can take the beating, and he's just kind of a plotter. You know, I mean, just think of him as, uh, you could say A.J. Dillon, but I want to pump him up a little bit more than that. So think of him as Jamal Williams. No offense to Jamal, but, you know, it is what it is. Jamal Williams without the hands. Connor, by the way, only five targets, five receptions, 34 yards on the season. After that, you got Chase Edmonds. This is your 5'9", 210-pound guy. This is the guy that is... The smaller, faster slasher, that's also your receiver. He has 32 targets, 27 receptions, 172 yards. Um, What is that? I don't even know what that means. Oh, snaps while running a receiving route. Okay, anyways. But on top of that, 68 rushing attempts, 397 yards, 5.8 yards per attempt. Um, He doesn't have any touchdowns. He does have a fumble. So he's slightly less carries and is the much more electric scary kind of a guy you know when uh, Connor's in there stack the box and get ready to to just smash when Chase is in there you got to be a little fleet of foot you know what I mean you got to be ready to run if you get to him you could probably bring him down but you know you got to watch where he's going he might get the ball he might be staying in the block he might be running a route and then finally I would say one of the more scary aspects of this team is the receivers now this has been in the works for a long time the Cardinals have been taking swing after swing after swing after swing at wide receiver, and that's because their coach, Cliff Kingsbury, is a coach that comes from a college system that employs almost exclusively five wide receivers. Now, I'm not saying that's what they do here, but they have been, they'll go out and draft three receivers, and then the next year they'll draft three more, and then they'll go out in free agency and get two more wide receivers. I mean, they have been, they have been attacking wide receiver like nobody else, and now they've finally got a stable, and you can see how lethal it is. When you have a quarterback that can do these things, that can move the pocket and can do all these things to kind of keep the defense off balance and can distribute the football, and we've got a bunch of weapons, it gets to be a little much to handle for defenses, and that's why you see 30 points a game. But at the top of this, obviously, is Mr. DeAndre Hopkins. He's a a fantastic wide receiver. He's not at the level that he has been um, in the past. I don't know if that's because they distribute it so much, um, where it's not a system in which you have... Um, you know, you're like he had in Houston, for example, where you got a quarterback that just throws it up to him over and over and over, like the Packers with Devontae. This is, uh, there's just a lot of guys and a lot of mouths to feed, but 78 overall grade. Uh, he's about split the season as far as four really good games, three average games, but uh, 420 yards, 12.7 yards per attempt, seven touchdowns. Um, he might not be playing at a 2018 level right now, but he's still DeAndre Hopkins and he's still horrifying. After that, you got Christian Kirk. I think I talked about him a little bit. Maybe that was on the stream. I don't know. Christian Kirk is a guy that I really liked when he came out. He was supposed to be this really early first round pick. He's a kick returner. He's all that stuff. Um, And what usually happens in those situations, they get hyped up about, you know, 
April or May of, of the year before. By the time the draft rolls around, that's all fallen off. He was a second-round pick by the Cardinals, but he is a slot guy. He looked like he was going to be just setting the world on fire. The first three weeks, 85, 80, and 87 were his grades. After that, 50, 64, 68, 67. So he's massively cooled off, which is more in line with what he's been the last three years, which is a pretty average wide receiver. But 30 receptions, 408 yards, 13.6 yards per reception, four touchdowns. He is still another weapon. And it's actually very similar to the Packers, but to a, I think just to a different degree. I mean, they're more like the old school Packers where we just had a bunch of wide receivers. And you can lock down one, but we got another one to give the ball to. So it's kind of similar to the Packers. We have a lot of different avenues. They've got one thing, which is wide receiver, but they've got a bunch of them. And one way or another, we're going to get some of these guys open. And that's what nobody's really been able to stop up to this point. After that's Mr. A.J. Green. It's not the same A.J. Green that we remember. He is 33 years old. Um, 2020 was his first kind of down year with Cincinnati, and he was great. I mean, literally from 2012 to 2018, there was no drop-off in his game. There was a lot of injuries speckled in here and there, but when he played, he was on fire. Um, his last year in Cincinnati, he fell off. Uh, the Cardinals picked him up, and now he's in at least a good situation where he doesn't have to be that dominant guy, but still six foot four, 210 pounds. He's got 406 yards. It seems like all these guys have exactly 406 yards. 406 yards, three touchdowns. Um, 67 overall grade, which is really comprised of three good games, four average to below average games. But again, it's still a guy that you got to account for. It's like I talk about with Lazard and MVS. You you don't have to worry about them being the same guy. You know, they're not Devante, but if you just don't worry about them, you're going to have to worry about them. After that, you got to the rookie Rondale Moore. He's another slot guy. 59180. Many of you know who he is because you wanted him desperately to be a Green Bay Packer. Um, I would have been all over that as well, but people were real excited because he started off on fire. I think he was one of the highest graded wide receivers in week one. He had an 81 overall grade, four receptions, 68 yards, but then another good week. But he's, he's definitely cooled off. Um, he's had two very good games, two good games, and then, you know, average to subpar beyond that. But still, 26 receptions, 304 yards, and a touchdown, you know, between. That 300, 400 yards a guy, I mean, they just distribute the ball like crazy. That's just the Cardinals. It's just a different kind of kind of an offense. Again, it just reminds me of the old school Packers where we spread five wide, and we've got five capable wide receivers ranging from dominant to good, and uh, we're just going to pick you apart, and that's kind of what the Cardinals are doing. They do also have some tight ends um, after that. In other words, looking at targets, I'm going in order after Rondale Moore, who has 31 targets, 26 receptions, you have Max Williams, who was just, uh, I don't know if it's IR or what, but he will not be playing, I don't believe, the rest of the year, which is why they went out and got Mr. Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz has not uh, done a ton uh, in the NFL for quite some time. It looks like 2019 was his last year really accomplishing very much. But his first week against Houston, he kind of lit it up. It was one of his better games in some time, maybe not including Kansas City game, but... Um, Right out of the gate, four targets, three receptions, 66 yards, and a touchdown. He's kind of fitting in, and and I, I just think it it fits what he does, and it kind of fits what the old Eagles were when they had more weapons, and Zach Ertz was just kind of one of them. You know, they used to have two tight ends, and, you know, you got Deshaun, and you got a couple other guys that they like to throw the ball to, and they just kind of spread it around. And it got to the point where everybody left, and Zach Ertz was supposed to be just the guy. I feel like he's going to be able to blend in. He's going to be like A.J. Green. He's not the guy that can take over anymore, but if he's just a guy... I think he's going to have some pretty good opportunities. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break here. Um, on the other side of the break, I do have to make an announcement. 
We have the signed Aaron Jones helmet giveaway. We have a winner, and I'm going to tell you who that winner is. Um, very sorry to many of you who are disqualified because you didn't do the last step of uh, sharing or whatever it's called where you post it to your stories. We only had like 10 people actually do that last step, and a ton of people did everything else. But anyways, I'm going to be giving that away. If you want to support on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support me for as little as a dollar a month. Otherwise, tell your friends, tell your neighbors. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time. We have a signed Aaron Jones mini helmet. It is absolutely glorious and spectacular and beautiful. And the winner has been selected, and it is my duty and my privilege to announce the winner. The winner, via Instagram, is... Zully. Emphasis on all the Z's. It's Z-Z-Z-Z-U-L-L-Y. Zully, the lioness spirit, the uh, alpha female, and owner of ZullyMakeup.com. Might as well plug your business while we're at it. 
If you wouldn't mind, Zully, reaching out to us on Instagram, just saying, hey, I listened to it on the podcast, and I heard that I won because I love listening to the Packernet podcast. I never miss an episode. So, of course, I heard it, and um, I would love to claim my prize. If you could do that, that would be fantastic. And uh, Jacob will be in touch with you, and we'll coordinate the delivery, et cetera, et cetera. Congratulations. And I'm looking very much forward to uh, the upcoming competitions. We've got a bunch of those signed trophies, the signed Lombardi trophies, which are awesome. And I just want to get a bunch of them myself. They are all signed. We have a Jordy now. I think it's Jordy, right? Hold on one one second. Because I think the last one was Jordy. Yeah, so we got another Jordy Nelson signed um, Lombardi trophy, which is phenomenal. These are obviously replicas. I mean, come on, give me a break. We also have a Leroy Butler signed trophy, which is awesome. And... Desmond Howard. So I think this upcoming week we're going to be doing Leroy Butler. We haven't 100% pinned that down, but I believe that is the uh, the plan. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, I think it's going to be a Twitter giveaway. I'm not sure. We'll figure it out. And we'll let you know. All righty, let's rip through this defense here. I'm falling asleep as I'm sitting here. All right. Like we usually do, we're going to start on the interior work our way out. So the defensive line, and this is a bit of a weakness outside of J.J. Watt, although we usually think of J.J. as an edge rusher. He's technically an interior defensive end, whatever. JJ's still JJ. I mean, he's he's not um, whatever you want to call it, 2018, 2015 JJ Watt, but he's still a, an imposing force. His run defense is nowhere near what it used to be. 62.9 overall. Tackling is bad, which has kind of always been at least since 2017. But the pass rush is what we're really most nervous about, and he's still pretty much got that. Uh, 28 pressures. Uh, let's see, divided by 217. So he's at 13%, which is solid. But it's also worth noting, you know, we look at Rashawn and we go, dude, he's doing a good job. He's doing better than J.J. Watt's doing right now. And to be honest, this is kind of in line with what Kenny's doing, which, you know, I guess when you put it in those terms, it's like, well, then he's doing great. But um, 17.7% is uh, what he had in 2014. 119 pressures out of 670 attempts. By the way, that's what Zadarius had in 2019. That's basically what Rashawn has right now. So dual things, explaining J.J. Watt's not as good as he was and also explaining that Rashawn is at an unbelievable pace and we need to respect him more. Also worth noting for J.J., um, 28 pressures, only one sack on the season. So the pass rush is still there. He's still a disruptive factor, um, but that's that's what we're dealing with. I think if we could just get the, the name J.J. Watt out of our heads and just look at a guy that... His run defense grade is not great. His tackling grade is bad. His pass rush grade is an 83, so it's quite good. But 28 pressures, one sack are his statistics. And just take that rather than thinking J.J. Watt and having a panic attack, I think it would serve us well. But he is the defensive lineman with the most snaps, which is actually a bit surprising and probably not great for them. They're playing at a, a neck break pace right now, whereas the Packers are trying to rotate their guys to make sure they're fresh by the end of the year. They're breaking J.J. Watt actively rather than just rotating them out, which I understand because they don't have a good defensive line. They're pretty bad football players, so you want to make sure you got at least one good guy out there. But your defense is number one in the NFL. You can give the guy a break a little bit, but whatever. You do things your way. You can uh, dominate the regular season and then lose in the postseason for all I care. I don't care what you do. Um, The next most snaps is Mr. Zach Allen. Um, Zach Allen is, I don't know if he's injured on IR, what the situation is. Is he on this list? He might be on IR. Oh, it was COVID. Okay, so he's supposed to be, he's one of the guys that's supposed to be coming back. There's a big pile of guys that are planning on coming back from COVID, which is kind of a nightmare, but whatever. Bottom line is, though, Zach Allen has been horrific. His grades over the three years that he's been here, third round pick, 
51-55. This year so far, 41.9. He hasn't had a good game this year. 35 overall run defense grade, 55 pass rush grade, 55 coverage grade. He has five pressures in a sack on 111 um, pressures, which is to say, what, four-ish percent? Four point something percent? Yeah, four and a half percent. It's it's horrifically bad. So I don't care if he's back. And by the way, the guy hasn't even played the last two weeks. He has the second most snaps at defensive tackle. So he's one of their main guys somehow. Um, after that is uh, Mr. Lecky Fotu. Lecky Fotu, 44 overall grade. He's the 6'5", 335-pound guy, which you could probably tell based on his Samoan-sounding name that he's going to be a 335-pound um, defensive tackle. It's just the way it works, man. Isn't, you know, I don't make the rules. I just observe them. But uh, he's just, he's not good at football. 38 run defense grade, 25 uh, tackling grade, 60 pass rush grade, which I don't know how he got that because he has one pressure and no sacks on 68 attempts. After that is Rashard Lawrence, 6'2", 308, basically average in every single category. He has three pressures on 59 attempts, which is garbage. Then you have Corey Peters, who has a 52 overall grade, 40s run defense, 60 pass rush, three pressures, 46 attempts. He's trash. Michael Dogby after that, 284 pounds, uh, 56 overall grade, 48 run defense. He does have a 70 pass rush, but three pressures on 50 attempts. That's trash. And you got Jordan Phillips, who's one guy that's actually graded out quite well, but it's a bit of a fluke because he only played 44 snaps on the season. He has two pressures on 29 attempts, which based on the Cardinal standards is good, but that's kind of trash. By the way, his grades in his career, starting in 2015, 46, 58, 59, 49, 51, 54, 76. It's a fluke. He's a 50 overall guy. He's trash. Uh, that's probably why he's so far down the depth chart. Then you have Jonathan Ledbetter, who's played 10 snaps, 36 overall grade. Bottom line, outside of J.J. Watt, the defensive tackles on this team are about as bad as they get. Now, granted, I'm getting flashbacks to New Orleans. This is very New Orleans-esque, right? They've got good edge rushers, terrible interior, um, et cetera, et cetera. We haven't covered the rest of the guys, but it's very similar. Point is, though, there's a reason they're 31st overall against the run, and it starts in the middle of that defense, which just can't stop anybody, including J.J. Watt, who's not good at it. Moving on to the guys off the edge, Marcus Golden, Chandler Jones, these are the top two guys overall. Now, Marcus Golden is another guy. And again, this is what's weird about Arizona, and it's hard to put my finger on it because he's playing well, but he has not played well pretty much in his entire career. The one year he had a good grade was in 2016 with Arizona, but um, he's never been a good player. He's 30 years old. And even this year, three really good games. Week four, 80 overall. Week six, 87. Week seven, 88. Two weeks in a row, just dominant, dominant, dominant. His other games, though, 68-64, 53-55. So just weird, up and down. I don't know what to make of it. You can't dismiss him because he's been elite three out of the last four weeks. But his entire career and half the season has been a guy that's not good at football. So it's I don't know what to make of it. But 22 pressures, 194 attempts. That's solid. That's respectable. He does have six sacks, so it's a pretty high sack ratio. Chandler Jones has been out for a while. Chandler was real scary at first because, well, first of all, he's a big-name guy that's had some pretty good uh, production in the past. Everybody kind of knows him because he's you know old. He's been around for a while, and he's, again, had some pretty good production. He's had 10-plus sacks uh, almost every year from 2013 to 2019, including 2019, where he had 19 sacks, which is incredible. And then he started off this year against Tennessee, seven pressures, five sacks. So he was on a neck-break pace. 
but that's all kind of calmed down. Uh, he's at 18 pressures on 170 attempts, so he's just over 10%. He has five sacks on the season, which you may have noticed he had five in week one, which means zero since then. Now he's been out with the whole COVID thing. At least I think he was also COVID since week five. But um, if we just look at his grades, 93, 63, 70, 46, 48. And Chandler Jones is one of the worst run defending edge rushers in football right now. So um, again, it's a guy you got to worry about a little bit in terms of being able to generate a little bit of pressure. But um, I think it's more the name inspires fear more than just about anything else. After that, you have Devin Carnard, another guy like half this football team that's been pretty bad to average their entire career, who is just, you know, really highly graded. And he's highly graded in three games, really low grades in three games. This There's something here and I can't put my finger on it. There's something where this team has several guys playing way, way, way out of their own league, but only sometimes. And then sometimes they show their true colors. His grades, 90, 60, 53, 54, 82, 81. By the way, the last two weeks, a lot of these guys, there's a correlation between the last two weeks really blowing up. Now, Houston is obvious, but maybe it's also true that Cleveland just kind of imploded as well. I don't know. And obviously we know week one, Tennessee imploded. So that would account for week one, six, and seven for Devin Kennard. I don't know, but I'm just saying because he's been playing in the league since 2014. He's never been that good of a football player and has had three really good games. Even still, five pressures, no sacks on 60 attempts is not that good. And then there's a pile of other rotational guys. Uh, Dennis Gardeck, three pressures, 35 attempts. Nobody cares. Kyle, Kylie Fitz, two pressures, 16 attempts. Nobody cares. Uh, Victor Dumukeje has done nothing. Josh Morrow has done nothing. So there you go. So it seems like what they've got are, again, reminds me of the Green Bay Packers offense where you might be bad four out of six weeks, but there's always one guy that's having that 90 overall grade game on that week. You know what I mean? Devontae might only be in the 60s on one week, which doesn't ever happen, but let's just pretend. But you got Alan Lazard at an 88, and you've got Mercedes Lewis at an 87, and, and you know, there's just enough guys getting it done to make the offense in general really click, even while two or three other guys were just having off days. It feels like that's how the... Because if you look at it, there's nobody that's dominant at a really high level every single week. That's just not happening. But there's always somebody that's just completely dominant. And again, I can't put my finger on it, and it still feels flimsy to me because the team is made up of a bunch of guys that have never really been that good. I'm not talking about everybody, and you got a great quarterback. That's impressive. you got one of the best wide receivers in football on your team. That's true. But there's nobody on the offensive line that's elite. There's no tight ends that are elite. Uh, I don't think any wide receiver outside of that guy you can consider elite. Uh, The defensive line has some old guys that used to be really good that are still fairly competent. Edge rushers are barely competent. But anyways, moving on to the linebackers. Uh, Again, a bunch of guys that aren't super graded out all that well. You got Jordan Hicks, who is their number one linebacker, 58 overall, bad run defense, mediocre coverage, Um, pass rush. It's not that important, I guess, although he does it kind of a lot. But again, 41 overall grade against the run, 64 in coverage, not all that impressive. After that, you got Isaiah Simmons, another guy that I still don't think a lot of people know a lot about other than he was really highly touted coming out of college. He seems to be doing a little bit better than last year when he was basically considered a complete flop. Um, Mostly it's been in coverage, still 51 overall grade in run defense, 
but coverage 70.8. Um, he's been targeted 28 times, 22 receptions, 178 yards, no touchdowns, a pick, and a pass breakup. That's pretty solid. So he's got that going for him, but otherwise not that great. And again, they're not good against the run, so this is kind of expected. And then third in the trio is uh, newly drafted Zaven Collins, which again kind of goes to show what they think about their linebackers. But he has been relatively impressive. And I say relatively because when you break it down, it's, you know, there's some asterisks needed. But 80.6 overall grade, very high grade, 77.9 run defense, 74.4 coverage. It's pretty dominant from top to bottom. It's just been a little bit inconsistent. But uh, since week three, he's been pretty consistently dominant. Uh, but they're not playing him a ton. So I don't know if they just don't trust it or what the situation is. But yeah, he's been kind of from, from top to bottom. He's been quite good most of the time. Looking at their corners, uh, number one corner is Mr. Robert Alford, 77.4 coverage grade. He's only allowed 18 receptions on 31 targets, which is a low percentage rate. But he has given up two touchdowns, has a pick in four pass breakups. Uh, Byron Murphy, 62 overall grade, 69.7. Coverage grade, 19 receptions, 300 yards, a touchdown, three picks, three pass breakups. So they're giving up a decent amount of yards, and they've given up some touchdowns, but they're definitely getting a good amount of turnovers and pass breakups as well. So they're making plays on the ball. And then their third corner, primary corner anyways, Marco Wilson, 55 overall grade, 54 coverage, 29 receptions, 322 yards. He's given up four touchdowns, has two pass breakups. So none of them are graded super highly. They're all kind of in the 50s, but with slightly higher coverage grades. I think most of all, although on a down-to-down basis, they're really not that elite of cover guys. You got to be careful because, again, they've, they've got a good collection of interceptions between especially the top two guys. And then finally, you got Buda Baker and Jalen Thompson at safety. Buda Baker, very, uh, he's one of those guys that everybody's going to tell you he's elite. I'm going to tell you that He's not that elite, and will be stuck somewhere in the middle. But 67 overall grade, 63 run defense, 71 tackling, 68.6 in coverage, um, nine receptions, 137 yards, a touchdown, a pick, and a pass breakup. And then Jalen Thompson um, is the other safety, almost identical grades, 68, 53 run defense, uh, 69. I mean, it's very, very identical. He's given up 15 receptions, 102 yards, a touchdown, and a pass breakup. So, I mean, listen, in summary, the offensive line is made up of guys that um, historically you wouldn't think are the greatest, but they're doing a good job. If nothing else, they're doing a great job of pass protection. And I do think a lot of that is scheme and especially Kyler Murray being able to create. They've got a wide stable of wide receivers who it's kind of a hodgepodge. Again, you got Christian Kirk with a ton of ability, but he hasn't been great recently. You got Hopkins, who's always solid. You got A.J. Green, who's not in his peak, but still talented. And then you've got the young, talented rookie. On top of that, you got the tight ends. They've got a lot of options. And Kyler Murray is basically just playing some Pat Mahomes ball right now. He's really just tearing it up. I mean, it's maybe a slight exaggeration, but really, I mean, he's just in a lot of attacking deep down the field, a lot of big time throws, very conservative with the ball, not a lot of turnover worthy plays. And, um, He's elite under pressure. That's another really dangerous thing with Kyler Murray. So that's the main thing. Kyler Murray is operating within a system filled with weapons in a scheme that's going to find somebody getting open. Defensively, I think they just have enough. You know, I mean, it's kind of similar to the Packers defense where, you know, you've got some key players somewhere, you got some holes in other places, but you got enough people showing up week to week to make it work. J.J. Watt, not the same guy he was, but still scary. 
Chandler Jones, same thing, not the same guy he was, but he's still going to get some stuff done. Defensive tackles are just kind of useless. Again, depending on where you call Watt. I mean, if it's four down and he's on the edge, then that's what he is. The linebackers, I think they don't grade out super well, but you got a good combination. Hicks is kind of your main guy who's just sort of your vanilla, does a little bit of everything. Simmons is a pure um, cover guy, and he does a good job of it. And Collins is proving to be really impressive and very versatile, but it's probably going to be more your strong side tackling, um, edge setting kind of a guy. But he can cover, he can do it all. Um, the corners, again, they don't grade out super well, but they do just enough. I think they got some good pass rush to complement it. You got help from safeties and linebackers in the scheme. And also they're, they're handsy, right? So you, they're, they're doing a good job of kind of similar to Stokes. They're getting picked on. They're not graded out very well, but they're getting their hand in there. They're getting picks and pass breakups, et cetera, et cetera. And your safeties are, are again, similar to Savage and Amos. They're, they're graded out as fairly average. They're probably not as good at tackling as you got guys like uh, Amos. They probably don't have as high of upside as guys like uh, Savage. But they're just kind of consistent. They don't give up a lot. And again, they get the job done. And so I, I think this is a, in a way, similar to the Packers, where there's holes, but they've done a great job of not allowing that to be a real big hindrance. Again, they are the 31st ranked run defense. Nobody cares. Their defense is number one in the NFL. Nobody cares. Some of that has to do with the dominance of the offense, but they play off each other. But again, they, they mitigate the negatives, and the positives are so positive. And again, I think the biggest positive here, clearly, despite the fact that the defense is technically ranked high, higher, but the biggest benefit here is, is the offense and, and just the inability of teams so far this year, outside of the 49ers, hopefully the Packers spent a lot of time watching that. But outside of that, nobody knows how to stop this just ridiculous stable of guys that they have. But anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.